0: All right, so we're in Acts 8. Uh, we're going to finish up this chapter today. Um, there are uh, a lot of people in the world, a lot of Christians who know and love Jesus and are growing in grace uh, who also at the same time feel intimidated by what we're going to see in this passage today, which is uh, sharing the gospel with others or, or being engaged in what is called evangelism. Uh evangelism, you'll hear me say that word a bunch today. It, it simply means that we share the good news of Jesus with others. But a lot of us um, feel intimidated by that. That is a hard thing to do at times. And I, and I think that probably most of us in this room can resonate at least somewhat with the concerns or intimidation that we may feel about evangelism. Um, and I think it's way more common than not, actually, in our, in our day and probably in all, the, all days of all times. And I think there's at least a few reasons for that. Uh, there's probably more than three, but I thought of at least three this week as I gave some thought to why it is I feel intimidated by it, why you may feel intimidated by it. And I think there's uh, a few reasons. One is I think some of us are just afraid that we will, we will be uh, perceived as being weird. Uh, as we talk to people about Jesus, right? That we don't want people in our lives, people we may have to work with or are in or in family with, to think we're the weird ones, and that's a that's a legitimate concern I think for a lot of us is we don't want to be labeled as the the weirdos. That's that's one thing. A second reason, maybe a concern that we just don't know enough about the Bible or about Jesus. To, to actually be able to engage in evangelism because we're afraid if we get a question we don't know the answer to, we will look uh, like we just don't have it all figured out or we're, or we're foolish or something. And so we may hesitate to speak about Jesus because we just don't feel we know enough. That's a, that's a legitimate concern in, in many people. And the third that I came up with is just that we, we, don't, we may not want to feel the discomfort of getting into something so personal with people. Like we feel in some ways like this is just some sort of territory that is off limits or it's a personal thing. And so we just don't want to get into the emotional engagement or energy that it would take to help someone meet Jesus. That, that, that energy uh, that we'd have to, to really put out to someone and be in relationship with someone uh, would be too much for us. And so we back away. And those are the three that I came up with. There's probably other reasons as well. But our passage today is actually a really great reminder for us uh, of this, that God uses normal people, everyday people like you and like me, to help others meet and love Jesus. That that is the good news that this passage is going to point us to, that God doesn't need uh, absolute rock stars of evangelism to make Uh, his gospel move forward he just simply needs available people and so uh, we we are going to see some principles in this text that are going to hopefully give us as normal people who may feel intimidated by sharing the gospel with others uh, give us some tools and some uh, ability to to understand what we're doing and what we're dealing with this passage models evangelism for us very well and I, I really just pointed out, I'm going to point out three principles today to help us along the way. But as I do that, it's important to know that just by saying that there are three principles uh, in this passage doesn't mean that there's three easy steps to becoming a world-famous evangelist. Okay? That's not the goal here. I'm not saying even that all of us, by just applying a few of these principles, are going to be at the same level of gifting in evangelism evangelism is a gift of the Holy Spirit that God has given to some uniquely or, or specifically, maybe is a better word, um, that it just seems to flow out of certain people. And it's just like God has gifted certain people for that task. But that doesn't mean that that's an, just because it's a spiritual gift for some doesn't mean it's something the rest of us get to ignore or neglect There's a spiritual gift that Paul mentions in Romans 12 of service. Some people have a spiritual gift of service or serving, but that doesn't take the rest of us off the hook to be servants. We're all called to serve, even if it's not our primary spiritual gifting. So it is with evangelism. We're not all going to be the same level of gifting in evangelism, and yet we're all called to engage or at least be available to the effort that God gives us. So that's what we're going to see today. And, and I want to take us through this passage uh, just a little bit at a time. We'll take verse 26 through 40. We're going to break it up into three sections as we uh, talk through it. And we'll first look at verse 26 through 29. So it says this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip. Now this Philip, again, is the same Philip from last week who went to Samaria. Okay. Not the Philip who's one of the 12 apostles. This is a different Philip. Uh, this is one of the deacons of the church. He went to Samaria. God used him in some really profound ways, as we saw last week, in reaching the city of Samaria and that region for the gospel. And so, so now we're picking it back up with Philip. So an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down to, from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Then he rose here's a few things that we're seeing in this what we're seeing predominantly in this passage is that Philip is just a he's a normal guy he's not one of the 12 apostles they were normal guys too by the way but they had a unique calling on their life in a, in that regard um, to help be found the founders of uh, the church in Jesus's absence from earth but Philip is not one of those 12 so so we we should see Philip as the typical everyman, just a guy who loves Jesus, who who wants to serve him, who wants to be used by him, just like any of us can be people that are loved, uh, love Jesus and are used by him. And what we're seeing in this passage is a sensitivity in Philip to God's leading. He's It's told by an angel, which is obviously a unique thing for him. Most of us are not going to be directed by angels in what we do. But here, Philip is told by an angel to go to the south, to go to this area towards Gaza, which is a desert place. And the first thing we're seeing in this is that Philip is totally open to listening to God in this. Remember the context in which he's in right now. He's in Samaria he is ministering in a vibrant, exciting ministry context where hundreds, if not thousands of people are responding to the Lord Jesus he, in, in a place that nobody expected the gospel to go in Samaria. And here he's being told to leave that great thing that God has called him, called him to do in that moment and to go somewhere else and to go to, to a place that would be probably the exact opposite of what he's experiencing He's not in a highly populated, he's not being called to a highly populated area as he was in Samaria. He's called to go to a deserted desert place, not to a massive congregation, but to one man, to one person. And and here's the principle that we see in this is that God wants all people in all places to hear about Jesus, whether that be from big cities to the countryside. They all are valued by Jesus. There is no place that's better than another in Jesus's eyes. Philip is called from a vibrant, growing, massive thing in Samaria to a desert to one person. And yet he's willing to go. And he's not even begrudging the fact that he has to go. He just willingly travels these these miles along this desert road to get from Jerusalem to Gaza. And Gaza was kind of the last stop uh, uh, before you would leave Israel and go into the true wilderness where there's nothing uh, for about 60 miles between Gaza and the next stop near Egypt. There was nothing. And so this was the spot where you'd stop, you'd water your horses or your camels, you'd get all your supplies. It's kind of like traveling uh, out west. I know when I went out west last summer uh, or a couple summers ago with my boys, there were points where you'd see signs that would say, no you, no services for 200 miles. And it's like, oh, this is scary. Okay, I should probably stop here first and fill up, make sure we're good to go because we're not going to have a stop for a while. That's kind of what Gaza was. It was a very, uh, it was kind of the last stop before you really got into the wilderness. But Philip goes. And what does he do? He, he sees this one guy. In verse 27 and 28, we see that there's this man who was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, who was queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure and that he had come to Jerusalem to worship. So this Ethiopian man is in Jerusalem for a feast or festival. He may be uh, a convert to, or a partial convert to Judaism. He may be a dispersed Jew who's living in Ethiopia. It's kind of hard to know exactly who he is, Uh, but he's in Jerusalem because he's, clearly interested in the things of God. But his position here is unique. So what this is teaching us is that God wants to save all kinds of people. The descriptions were given of this guy, even though we're never given his name, we are given some details about him. We're seeing this guy is both an outcast in some regards and a vitally important person in other regards. And this guy is sort of stereotypical of of how God wants to save people from all backgrounds, from the very important to the people that would be considered outcasts by the world. God wants to draw all people to himself. And so this man that Philip meets near Gaza fits both of those categories, both of being somewhat of an outcast in some context and an important man in another One, he's an Ethiopian or is described as an Ethiopian here, right? So that tells us he's living in Ethiopia, which means he's probably a black man in what is now, what we would now call the Sudan. Uh, Ethiopia today is not the Ethiopia of the book of Acts, but it would have been the Sudan today. And so here's this man who does not fit kind of the, the Jewish cultural thing because he's an outsider, he is uh, in. He lives in a Gentile land. He lives far away. He's African. He is is not of Israel. We also see that he's a eunuch, which is a castrated male. And I'll leave it at that. So parents have fun defining that for your kids at lunch. Um, but this is who he is. He's he's been he's basically by either by the hands of men in his position in the court of Candace or by birth is somehow not a fully intact man and and he would have that would have actually brought him into a position of being an outcast under Israel's laws. The Jews did not allow eunuchs to enter the temple. They were they were held at arm's length. they were pro- prohibited from joining full membership in the Jewish faith. That that tells us that this man is not the the typical person that would be expected to be loved and embraced. And yet he was also an important man. He was both an outcast and important, and he was important in his context as the secretary of the treasury. He was, we're told here that he was in charge of all the treasure of Candace, so we'd call that the, tr- the treasury secretary for Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. Now, Candace, uh, not her first name, Candace was a title for the queen of Ethiopia. And some, some scholars think that this was actually the queen mother. I don't know all that. It doesn't really matter too much to our time. But um, we see that this man is very important in his role as a court official in this kingdom in Ethiopia. And so here he is. He's traveling from Jerusalem, which means he's there because he's, he was there to worship, which means he does in some way have sensitivity to the Lord, And he wants to understand more about him, but he would have been held at arm's length because of his his position. So he's traveling back, and we see in verse 29, or the end of verse 28, that he's reading the prophet Isaiah. And in verse 29, it says, The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So we can make evangelism way more complicated than it really needs to be. Really, being open to being used by God in evangelism is just being available to his leading. Here, God speaks to Philip or prompts him through this holy, the Holy Spirit. There's no indication that there's this big clouds parting moment. It seems like as the Spirit speaks to Philip, he's just prompting him internally to go to that particular chariot, Go over there. And here he does. He just goes over as the opportunity is presented to him. I think as, as we think about our, our own lives, we're, we're just called to be um, putting ourselves in a place where we're available to the Lord Jesus. And I think you'd be amazed, as I've been amazed in my own life, uh, that uh, the opportunities that come come to you and come pouring in as you make yourself available to them. And I want to say this on the front end. I'm going to share some stories throughout this about my own experiences in evangelism, but I'm going to just qualify this by saying I'm not a great evangelist. Would never ever say that that's my primary thing. Uh, I am far more likely to just kind of duck away from hard conversations or getting into situations like that. Um, but I have seen, even as a very poor evangelist, I've seen the Lord use my life in various ways, in simple ways, nothing radical, nothing crazy. But just by, being, uh, make, just by making myself available and asking the Lord for opportunities, God brings those and has brought those many times to the point that it's, it's like almost ridiculous if I didn't. Share the gospel because God just drops those opportunities in my lap. And He will do much the same for you, I'm sure, as you open up yourself to those opportunities. So, so we're told here, Philip is told by the Spirit to go to, to this chariot. Let's look at verse 30 through 35. It says, So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and, beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. So, this gets us to principle number two for evangelism one is be sensitive to the Spirit's leading, to God's leading in your life. The second principle we see in in Philip's example here is that we need to find the opportunity to take someone to Jesus. So here's what happens. I'm just gonna give you some some basic things we see. In verse 30, we see Philip runs up to the chariot that he's told to go to, and he asks a question. Here's the question. Do you understand what you're reading? He's, He's asking the question as he hears what this man is reading. He's reading from Isaiah 53. Very famous verse, uh, passage about Jesus's uh, death on the cross, that he was led like a sheep to the slaughter for us. Like a lamb, he was silent. He did not open his mouth. That's the passage that this Ethiopian eunuch is reading. Now he's reading out loud because culturally in that time, that's how they read. They would read out loud. They didn't read inside their heads the way we often do. And so Philip hears the passage that is being read and uses that as an opportunity to ask a question. And he asks this question, do you understand what you're reading? Now, is that rocket science? Is that like the most earth-shattering question to ask this guy in this context? No, it's not. It's a very natural, obvious question to ask. Hey, you're reading something. Do Do you kind of get what you're reading? Does this make sense to you? So here's how we start evangelistic opportunities. We start where people are by asking them good questions. And every thing that, every opportunity we have is going to be different than this one, right? This is a situation in which Philip was led into this. Your questions to someone else will be different. My questions to someone else will be will be different. But we, we are prompting conversations by actually caring about the person and asking good questions and trying to get to the heart of who they are and what their struggles may be or, or what's going on in their life. If we, if we get to know someone to a point where we can ask them these questions, we can find doors to, and opportunities to share Jesus because that's exactly what happens in verse 31. He asks the question in verse 30, and then the Ethiopian eunuch says, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So the Ethiopian eunuch's response to the question, do you understand what you're reading? Could have been, yeah, I get it, it's fine. Go ahead and go move on your way. Or it could have been something else. But his answer was, how can I understand this unless somebody helps me? This is the Holy Spirit at work in the other side of the conversation. So as much as you and I have to depend on the Holy Spirit for the opportunities, we also have to depend on the Holy Spirit to work in that person's life as well. And this person opens up the door to Philip by saying, how could I understand what I'm reading unless someone helps me understand it? And then says, why don't you come up and help me understand it? it it's like the, the uh, you know, I've heard a lot of stories from other, other pastors who have shared where they'll get on an airplane, they'll sit next to somebody who's reading a book, just a book, and kind of ask, oh, what are you reading? And then that just spirals into good conversations. Right? You, you, you crack the door open by showing interest in someone and what they're doing. One of the ways that this played out in my, my life, it actually involves me and, and Chris, as we, this was several years ago, uh, before he even worked here or anything, but he was up for a visit back in 2020 ish. And we uh, had some downtime, so we decided let's go play around a disc golf. And we just went out there, wanted to spend a nice fall afternoon in the woods throwing the disc around, whatever. And as just as we're about to start, this guy comes up from behind us and is by himself and asks if he can join our, our game. And we're like, yeah. And I thought to myself, this guy has no idea what he's getting into. <laughs> like he's, he's hanging out with two guys who are in ministry and take this Jesus thing pretty seriously. So we'll see where this goes. A few holes in, uh, we're just having small talk, whatever, getting to know each other. Um, and Chris asks a question, and he just asks a simple question. He asks, are you married? It's a pretty basic question, right? Nothing earth-shattering, just wants to get to know the guy. But the way that guy opened up, answered that question is, was a, a really weird thing. It was just a weird answer. Um, his, his answer was, no, I'm engaged, but because of COVID, remember this is 2020, because of COVID, none of the pastors want to do weddings, And I was like, well, there it is. So I said, hey, you know, I'm a pastor. And uh, I'd love to talk to you about doing a wedding if you want to do that. And of course, the guy then starts to think, oh, no, what swear words did I say? Which, what did I do? Now I'm stuck halfway through this game with this guy who's a pastor. And it got real awkward for a few minutes. But that led to uh, about an hour-long walk through the woods with this guy where he Asked question after question after question. And we answered question after question after question about Jesus and the Bible and the church and 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 all these things. I mean, he just had some seriously deep things that he was contemplating. Through that conversation, just that cracked open door. Are you married? And then the goofy way he answered that question, which gave me the, the end to say, hey, let's talk about this, we were able to share the gospel with that with that man we we just as we played golf we we shared Christ with him and and invited him to meet Jesus and invited him into the church and listen nothing earth-shattering happened in that moment but we 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 were faithful with what God ha- gave us in that moment and that's that's not like an amazing crazy thing that is just a normal thing that happens as we make ourselves available to it. Like I said, I'm not this incredible evangelist, but I want to be sensitive to opportunities. And and I think that that's the crucial part is finding a way to get to know a person even through just asking simple questions can can really throw the door wide open to something much much deeper. So, as we see in this passage, there's good questions being answered Uh, asked and answered. and, And the Ethiopian eunuch is asking questions in response. And here's the question he asks. About whom I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or someone else? And so for Philip, that's the question that he gets asked. That's like, well, there's the door to the gospel. Verse 35. So Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, the scripture they're reading together, he told him the good news about Jesus. The third thing we need to see in this, in this uh, principle of finding opportunities to take someone to Jesus is that we actually need to take someone to Jesus when the opportunity is there. And, and here's, this is where things get complicated for many of us or we feel like it's complicated. It's like, well, I just don't know if I know enough to get someone to Jesus. Well, here's, here's the reality. You just need to focus on the simple message of the gospel. You don't need to worry about giving this person that you're talking to everything that they need to know about the Christian life within a span of 10 or 15 minutes. It will take a lifetime for anyone like you and me to learn what we need to learn about Jesus. But here's the thing. You start with the simple message of the gospel. Our sin makes us in need of a savior and Jesus came into this world to be that savior who died on a cross and rose again to give us new life. That's where we keep it. That's where we hang out. We hang out with Jesus in these opportunities. We don't need to get ourselves all worked up on all the other things. And the fact is, is that a lot of times the conversation is going to move towards the weird or wild or kind of controversial stuff. And it's easy for us to get lost in the weeds with that. But often that's just a diversion tactic to get to get away from the real point. Because the real point is, what are we going to do about Jesus? And I remember uh, after we moved up here, we were in North Carolina for a few years doing youth ministry. And uh, we moved here, and I was still in touch with a number of the students from North Carolina. And one of the gals who was in our youth group down there, one of, the, one of our core students, um, she she uh, went off to college a year or two after we left and got really convinced in college that that Christianity was all a bunch of nonsense and uh and she did this weird thing she she reached out to me i think i was still on facebook at that time so she reaches out through facebook and just basically like sends me this long thing about how her professor said all these things about Christianity and how stupid it is and that she's really believing that and, and I just kind of engaged with her a little bit through that messaging thing. and and I, I just we went back and forth a little bit, and I just kept trying to divert it back to Jesus. because I kept saying to her, listen, you you have all of these extra extraneous things that are that are causing you questions, but you're not dealing with the fundamental issue, which is, is Jesus real? And is what he says true? And what are you going to do about that? And I just kept bringing it back to that until she eventually stopped talking to me. But that is is what we need to do and the consequences or the the result of that has to be left up to the Lord. And, And instead of being completely distracted by all these things that really don't matter, we need to help people see what really does matter, which is that Jesus Christ came to save us from our sins. Okay, well, let's go to the third principle for evangelism. Look at verse 36 through 40 with me. So Peter's, uh, excuse me, Philip here has opened his mouth, started with the scripture that they're reading and took him to the good news about Jesus from that. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? So evidently, he's gotten to a point where he's ready to believe in Jesus and be baptized as a public display of that. It's a pretty quick turnaround. Sometimes that happens and sometimes that doesn't. And he says, and he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So Philip, remember, he's in the absolute wilderness. Um, so they find some a body of water somewhere. Chariot stops. Philip baptizes the eunuch and then God, the spirit, somehow transports Philip out of there, just kind of does this miracle to get him out. That's probably because Philip was literally would have died if he had tried to walk back home from where they were. They were probably quite a ways away from Israel. And so the Spirit brings Phil, uh, Philip to where he needs, to, needs him to go next. But in the meantime, we're seeing, before all that, we're seeing this Ethiopian eunuch baptized, now, what's the significance of that? The significance of that is that baptism symbolizes here this, this outsider Ethiopian eunuch who has been refused entry into the into full Judaism is actually fully welcomed in the Christian church. There is nothing preventing this man from being a Christian and becoming a part of the church. Though his position and his background prevented him from becoming a member of Judaism, it did not prevent him from being welcomed into Christ. And the baptism displays the welcome of Jesus in this man's life. We, what we're seeing in this is that Philip is a model of loving people like Jesus loves people. And I don't think we can ever uh, overemphasize this as it comes to evangelism. Loving people like Jesus loves people is vital if we're going to help people meet Jesus. Philip was a model of servanthood and love. Remember, he began his ministry in the church by caring for the underserved widows in the church in Jerusalem. A very... You know, modest kind of role. His job was just, hey, I want to love these poor women who don't have anything, and provide for them. That's love. He went to Samaria, a place where no one else would have chosen to go, (laughs) to a to a group of people who were so hostile to the Christian to the to the Jewish message, and and likewise vice versa. And yet he goes as a Jewish man to a place that was far from his cultural comfort. And God used him to lead a vibrant revival in that place. And then he goes from there to a desert place to talk to one guy from a different country who would have been seen in a Jewish context as a second-class citizen. Philip loved people because Jesus loved people. And and we, we cannot neglect that in our own lives. Loving people is one of the best ways that God gets people to Jesus. But here's the thing we need to remember. Loving people is an investment, an investment of time, and more than that, an investment in emotional energy and resource, and it can lead to a lot of pain. Love is not a safe thing. C.S. Lewis really profoundly hits on this in a book he wrote called The Four Loves. And here he writes that there is no safe investment. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one not even to an animal. Wrap it up carefully, round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, your heart will change. It will not be broken, but it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell. I I think that's so good and so important for us to hear because we are going to hold ourselves back if we don't realize that we are to love like Jesus loved. And Jesus loves us all the way to death on the cross. Romans 5:8 says that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you want to see true love on display, we look to Jesus. And, and I think this is where all of our hope has to be. In, in our evangelism, in our sharing of the gospel, we have to see our hope there. And the good news is that even as much as we want to be Philip in this story, we really are the Ethiopian eunuch. We're the outsiders that God has brought in through Christ. And I think that for so many of us, we feel like our our lives can be too full of junk, too full of garbage, too full of sin, so unworthy, so messy, that Jesus couldn't possibly want to love and save us. Maybe you think that way today, but it's not true. The good news of the gospel for you today, as it is for for every day, is that Jesus Christ truly does love you. He loved you all the way to the cross. He died so that your sins would be forgiven. He brought you back to God And and we, because of that, should be compelled and called forward to be used by God as regular people who have flaws and messes in our own lives because God uses regular people to accomplish his mission. And God will welcome you as he welcomes anyone who comes to him. Regardless of your background, regardless of the struggles you may have, he loves you and he calls you to come to him. That's, that's what we get to tell others as much as we tell ourselves. We have to preach the gospel to ourselves, and we need to preach the gospel to those that God puts in our lives. Let's do that. Let's come to Jesus. Let's come to him and be saved. Let's come to him and be whole. Let's come to him and be loved, and let's go out with him and help others to meet him. Okay, let me pray. Father, we are thankful for this passage in in how it has shown us uh, our need for you, the primary thing, and how it has shown us how we can be engaged with you in mission by being sensitive to you, by being willing to look for opportunities to help others love you. And to love you as opportunity arises and to love people through that. We pray God that you would give us grace today in these things and help us to consider how we can go out and, and in what avenues of our lives we are called to help others meet you. Would you open doors this week for us? Would you give us surprises after surprises at how you, you open up doors for gospel conversations. Would you help us to be faithful to respond to those opportunities? And would you give us what we need? Uh, and ultimately, would you save those who are lost? We pray for all these things and we pray for far more than these things, but we ask them in Jesus' name, amen.